we are grateful that you allow us these moments to to simply come back to that truth God that you are unchanging the God that you are constant that as Jake shared Lord you you're unfazed you're not surprised by the difficulties that we run into God you're not shaken by the tragedy that sin brings into our lives or into the lives of the people that we love. God, we thank you that you are a God who has compassion for us. That, Lord, that you don't just sit from afar and, and tell us what we need to know or tell us how to live our lives, but God, you, you love us and you care for us. And God, you want what's best for us. And that, God, that when we suffer, and God, when we are experiencing pain and loss, maybe as we're walking through uh, the long journey of grief, that you're with us every step of the way, and that your heart breaks when you see ours broken. God, that your empathy and your care is deeper than we could ever imagine. And that, Lord, that you have guaranteed a victory for those who've trusted in Jesus Christ. God, that you've, you've, you've given us a promise that we can grab a hold of, that we don't always feel, but God, one that we can always know, that death is not the end, that this world holds no enemy that can overcome your might, your power, and your love. And Lord, we, we thank you that even in our darkest moments, God, we can look to you for, for truth and light and comfort. Because, God, we, we see in your love expressed to us that, that when Jesus Christ uh, was at what appeared to be the darkest moment of his ministry, God, as he was wrongfully accused and unjustly crucified on a cross, Lord, that moment looked so dark and it looked like a, a terrible defeat and yet God you used that moment to in fact bring about ultimate victory God victory over sin over brokenness over failure and over death itself so that when he rose from the grave three days later God you proved once and for all that anyone who calls on his name might be saved anyone who calls on his name might be reconciled have right relationship with you adopted out of being children of wrath and rebellion and, and brought into your family as your beloved sons and daughters. God, let that be the focus of this time. God, let that be the truth that's, that's just present on the forefront of our thoughts. God, use this morning to teach us, to grow us, to shape us, to challenge us, and to comfort us. God, we ask these things according to your will. Amen. Oh, well, you can grab a seat. And good morning once again. Uh, as I said, my name is Jacob Smith. I'm the teaching pastor here at Anderson College. Uh, and I want to welcome you to Grace. If, if you are new here, uh, then I'll tell you, you are stepping into a morning that is a bit unorthodox, a morning that is a little bit different uh, than, than what we generally go through week to week. Uh, and it's because plans simply have to change sometimes, right? Sometimes our plans change. We see this in our lives. We just ask ad drop week every year, right? That's, that's just the truth of our state of life, that sometimes we have all these ideas and all these expectations, and we put all the pieces into place, and then it all just gets scattered. 
and we're left to deal with the aftermath. And I'll tell you, for me, uh, today my plans uh, have been radically altered. I was planning on showing up this morning and speaking on uh, what Proverbs says about our wealth, about our financial resource, and how we can, in fact, invest it in eternity. Uh, because that's part of the series that we've been going through, walking through the book of Proverbs, looking at how God d- guides his people to skillfully navigate life. And we'll be back in that next week uh, when we talk about how the, the Lord guides our words and our speech and how it can bring him glory and others good. Uh, but this morning, we are shifting gears radically, if you couldn't tell already, by the slides that kind of gave it all away. Uh, we are changing... Uh, the, the topic of this morning because of a call that I got yesterday around lunch. Uh, a call that I got letting me know that a student that I knew personally, uh, who I'd been meeting with this year, who um, was very involved in our ministry here uh, and in other student organizations and ministries like Impact around town, uh, he uh, took his own life a few days ago. And that was the end result of a long time of struggling with severe mental illness. And when I got that call, uh, everything changed. Because I realized that I simply could not bring myself to stay the course that I had plotted, to continue with the message that I had prepared. And I felt led by the Lord to completely change this morning. And so today, we're going to be talking about biblical grief and what it looks like to wrestle with loss and tragedy and pain and suffering as believers, as people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. And this is something that no one wants to develop, right? This isn't a muscle that anyone wants to build. No one wants to have to cultivate uh, the ability to grieve in a healthy manner. Uh, but right now, you're young. Right? But one day, you'll be old. That's how it works. And I'll tell you, over life, you are going to be cut time and time again. And you're going to come to these moments where maybe senses or ideas, unspoken expectations of your own uh, invincibility are done away with, are are wiped away. And you're going to come face to face with tragedy and and destruction and and death. Some of us have already been there. Some of us are there right now. Uh, And some of us, it's coming around the corner. And so right now is really a great time to begin to wrestle with the tension that we're presented with as believers. The tension that we feel between being a people who should rejoice in all circumstances and yet also be a people who mourn with those who mourn and weep with those who weep. The tension that we feel as as a people who have to somehow grieve with hope. And one of the best places we see this play out in Scripture is in John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there. If you want to go there on your phone, that's great. We'll have it up on the screen as well. But we're just going to walk through this chapter verse by verse and read it pretty just plainly and naturally to see how Jesus Christ himself responded to the tragedy and the destruction of death. Because as we see him wrestle with the death of a loved one, of a close friend, I think we see incredible hope, we see incredible truth, uh, and we see a really important question that should arise in our minds when we look at these types of circumstances. So uh, John chapter 11 starts off, Jesus is uh, you know, a few years into his ministry. And uh, at this point in John 11, there was a certain man named Lazarus. And he was sick. And he was from Bethany, and it was a village where Mary and her sister Martha lived. 
Uh, now, it was Mary who anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and wiped his feet dry with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. And so the sister sent a message to Jesus, Lord, look, the one you love is sick. All right, so Jesus is about 20 miles away from Bethany. And uh, there's, anytime you see parenthetical notes like that in Scripture, it's, it's indicating that it's an authorial kind of aside. It's an author's note. So it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, uh, John the disciple was, was writing this, this account of the life of Jesus Christ. And, and every once in a while, he pauses, especially in this story. He has little moments where he pauses, and he makes little notes to help his audience kind of better understand the context of what's happening. So he's reminding the audience, he says, hey, uh, this is Lazarus, and he was the brother of these two women. And if you remember, right, Mary was the one who anointed the Lord's uh, feet with oil. Uh, and, you know, so the people reading it are like, oh, yeah, oil girl. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. And he goes on uh, and says that when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness uh, is, will not lead to death, but to God's glory, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So Jesus gets this message from a messenger. Someone you know, brought this word to him, and he's sending back a reply. And he's telling them, hey, uh, two kind of key pieces. He's saying, first of all, this sickness, it's, it's not going to lead to ultimate death. He's he's trying to give them a a glimmer of hope. He says, there's actually more to this story. There's more for Lazarus uh, in this life. But second of all, he's saying there's also a purpose behind this, and and this is leading to God's glory. This is happening so that the Son of God may be glorified through these circumstances. And Jesus is basically presenting a really important principle for us, that we would recognize that, that there's a purpose to death. That death is not uh, an unexpected consequence that, that shakes God or somehow uh, undermines God's authority in this world. But that, in fact, God allows death to occur because it brings glory to himself. It tells us about God in a few different ways. First of all, it, it shows his holiness. When Adam and Eve were created in this perfect garden, and yet they chose rebellion, they chose to disregard the commands of God and run their own direction. When they did that, God uh, told them, hey, death is now in the world. Sin and brokenness is here, and it's, it's going to bring about death. It's going to be this separation that you're going to experience, not just uh, between each other, right? It broke their relationship with each other. It broke their relationship with the world itself. There's going to be pain and suffering. Uh, work was going to be hard. Uh, children were going to be painful. Uh, he says, but also it's, it's broken your relationship with the God who made you, the God who loves you. And so when God tells them this, uh, he, I think, mercifully, also tells them, okay, death is also going to claim your life. Your soul will be removed from your body. You are going to experience physical death now as well. And I think it's a mercy because if we were just trapped in an eternal state of brokenness and, and failure and rebellion, and that's, that's horrendous. So life on this world eventually ends for all of us, right? The stats are incredible. One for one, we died. And Jesus is telling them that there's purpose to that. It shows God's holiness in that he must allow justice to be served. He must bring death and consequence to our rebellion. Uh, But it also is setting up God's ultimate victory. 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus Christ uh, is bringing about uh, the final enemy that he's going to defeat is death itself. This is 1 Corinthians 15. That, that he came so that the grave would actually hold no more power, that he's the first fruit of the resurrection, meaning that he showed us that there is, in fact, a perfect life beyond death, beyond the grave, that our sin and our failure doesn't actually control our ultimate eternal destiny. So death is part of God's purpose, However, sometimes when we say that and when we talk about it, it, it feels almost like we've detached God into this like far-off being with these grand plans that you just don't get because you're just a person. And, and it makes God almost feel very impersonal. And that's why I think John is very intentional to put in one more little note. To say that, yeah, Jesus is sending this response and he's pointing them towards truth. But please remember, dear audience, that Jesus loved Martha 
and her sister and Lazarus. That the purposes of God are never separated from his love for his people. That they are intrinsically woven together. And that should provide incredible hope. Not just the truth that the grave is is not going to hold us down, but also that even in his plan, even in his you know, orchestration of events and circumstances, God is still loves us. He loves us deeply. That he has a compassion that that defies our comprehension. And so when he continues to work, when he continues to speak, remember that Jesus is moving through this circumstance, motivated by not just the glory of the Lord, but also by his love for these people. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he in fact remained in the place where he was for two more days. And then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples replied, Rabbi, the the Jewish leaders were just now trying to stone you to death. Are you going there again? So Jesus is kind of, to his disciples' perspective, they think, okay, he's playing it safe by staying here, right? Because they knew that he could heal people from afar. He had done it. He'd healed people. He'd brought the dead to life from a distance. He didn't need to be physically present in Bethany to fix the Lazarus situation. And so his disciples are assuming, okay, we're playing it safe. We're not going to stick our head in the lion's mouth, right? Because Bethany was about two miles from Jerusalem where there were all these religious leaders who literally were out for Jesus' blood. And so suddenly, two days later, Jesus tells them, all right, we're going to go now. Uh, They're very confused and they're fearful. They're saying, if we go there, we're going to die, right? Like you remember Jesus, right? Remember the stones, right? Like this is a bad place to be. And so Jesus looks at them in their fear and he replies, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks around in the daytime, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks around at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus is replying with another helpful principle that you are not in danger. There, there's, there's no reason to fear walking in the will of the Lord. Right? He's saying that I, he's revealed himself already to be the light of the world. He says, if you're with me, you're walking in the day. You're in the right place. You are, you're walking according to the will of God. I know the direction. I know, the, you know where we're headed. I know what we need to do. And so if you're walking with me, you can trust that you're in the right place. He says, the only thing you need to fear is stepping outside of that. The time you're going to stumble is when you're in the dark. So, so even if there is suffering, right, he's not promising him. Note, he doesn't say like, no, don't worry, we'll all be completely safe the whole time. Like, he doesn't say that. He doesn't make promises or guarantees about them avoiding suffering or avoiding persecution. In fact, all of these disciples are going to eventually die because of their connection to Jesus. He doesn't promise them that they're going to live this, you know, miraculously wonderful life. But he does say, you can trust that if you're walking according to my will, if you are aligning your life with mine, then you're in the right place. And that even if suffering comes, it's, it's, it's in God's plan. And he's going to use it for his purpose. So he goes on to add that, hey, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to awaken him. And then the disciples replied, Lord, well, if he's fallen asleep, then he'll recover. And John makes a note, well, now Jesus had been talking about his death, uh, but they thought he'd been talking about real sleep, right? So again, John is helping the audience understand, okay, disciples, they're being dumb, right? They're dumb, right? He's trying to lay that out. It's like they're confused. And John's one of them. So like he's, this is, you know, he's nailing himself to the wall as well. He said, this, we were very confused. It, you know, there was a lot going on. Uh, so we thought he was talking about sleep, and Jesus then has to tell them plainly, okay, Lazarus is dead, right? No, he's died. And I'm glad for your sake that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And so Thomas called Didymus said to his fellow disciples, well, let us go too so that we may die with him. So Jesus lays it all out there. He's like, okay, yeah, I realize he's not really sleeping. He is dead. But he brings him back to that first principle, which is, and, and there's a purpose to this. He says, I'm, I'm glad, I'm thankful that you're getting to see this play out. 
that we didn't prevent this death because in doing so, you're going to believe. So this is going to increase your faith. God's will, his desire, his plan does not guarantee, does not say that, that all of his people are going to avoid suffering. When Jesus looks at his disciples, he in fact promises that they'll suffer. He promises uh, that just as he was rejected, just as he was scorned, just as he was uh, persecuted, that we can expect that exact same response from our world. That we can expect to suffer. We can expect to be persecuted. He says, but through that, you will believe. In other words, the the purpose of God is not that his people would avoid suffering, but that our faith would be strengthened through it. God allowed Jesus Christ, his son, to endure untold suffering and agony on the cross on our behalf. So we should not expect to live these, these amazing, gilded, perfect lives. But we can expect that in those moments of fear and in those moments of tragedy and destruction, that God will use it to grow our faith, to increase our belief. And to their credit, his disciples, they, they're starting to catch on. And so Thomas, kind of speaking on behalf of the whole group, he says, all right, well, then let's go. We're going to go too, so that we can die with you. In other words, they had decided as a crew, okay, we would rather die with Christ than live without him. So already their faith is being strengthened. Their belief is being grown. And so Jesus takes them and they arrive. And when they arrive, they found that Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. And now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, so many of the Jewish people of the region had come to Martha and to Mary to console them over the loss of their brother. So they uh, show up, and Lazarus is very dead. He's been in the grave for four days, which means that no one is, you know, no one's buying into any sort of illusion that he's asleep, that he's unconscious. Uh, They know, okay, this guy is, he's dead. And Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they had, you know, through their lives and their ministry, they had, I mean, I guess, helped and, and interacted with and uh, gotten to know a lot of people. And so there was a crowd, right? There was a large number of people who had come to grieve with them and to support them, to console them in the midst of this terrible, terrible loss. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And Mary was still sitting in the house. But Martha came to Jesus and she said, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will grant you. So Martha runs out to Christ, to Jesus, and she looks at him and I think she's speaking out of pain. One of her best friends is dead. Her brother that she grew up with is gone. And so it's natural that when she sees Jesus, the, the one who loves and the one who's you know, been to their home and enjoyed their hospitality, the one who's shared meals and shared laughter and shared life with them, she's looking at him and she knows what he's capable of. She knows the power that he's brought into this world. She's heard of and seen the miracles that, she, that he's performed. And so when she looks at him, she's telling him, I know that if you had been here, we could have avoided all of this. She says, you could have done things different. And we wouldn't be in this mess. We could have avoided all this pain. And she's not condemning him. I don't think she's speaking out of anger. But I think she's speaking out of deep loss and grief. And she's acknowledging, Jesus, this could have been different. And she still even reveals that some of her hope and, and, and the right standing of her mind where she says, and, and I know that, that you still have power, like you still have ability to change these things. She says, I, I know that whatever you ask from God, he will grant to you. I, I know that you bring that level of authority into circumstances, into this world. She's hurting. But she still has this 
this hope. And Jesus hears her and, and replies. He says, your brother will come back to life again. Right? He's bringing her back to that initial message, that initial response that he sent to her, saying that, hey, you, that this is not going to end in death, right? There's more for Lazarus. And so he's bringing her back to that initial point. And she acknowledges, she says, well, yeah, I, I know that he will come back to life again in the resurrection at the last day. So she, she's drawing from truth that she had been taught, truth that she had learned about God's people, that she knew that there was, there was a message, there was a prophecy that, that all of God's people would, in fact, be resurrected. That they would, in fact, experience life beyond the grave. Those who trusted in Yahweh as their hope and as their salvation, would have a life beyond death. She knew this. And so she's referring to this kind of, this future ambiguous day. So she's, that's, because that's what she thinks Jesus is referring to. She's like, okay, yeah, I, I know, right, that one day it'll be okay. One day my tears will be dry. One day my sorrow will be satisfied, will be comforted. But Jesus says to her, Martha, I and the resurrection and the life. And the one who believes in me will live even if he dies. And the one who lives and believes in me will never die. So do you believe this? And she replies, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who comes into the world. So Jesus hears her hope on that future ambiguous day and, and he, he brings her back to the present. He says, no, Martha, I I am the resurrection. Martha, I am the life. Martha, I am the object of your faith. I am the one that you can focus upon. And if you believe and trust, then, then you, you, you experience that eternal life. You can have that hope beyond the grave now. And so he asks her this pointed question, this crucial, crucial question. Do you believe? And I know that there are some of us who are walking in this morning who are wrestling with this question. Who have maybe never answered it definitively for ourselves. That we've heard it around, that maybe we've been around church, we've been around Christian circles, and maybe it's, it's something that maybe our parents have held to. Uh, but it's something that maybe we've never really answered. Or, or maybe it's, it's a question that we've come to and we've wrestled with it. And then we just, we said, I'm, I'm going to just take care of that later. Because I just, I don't have the space to, to make that call. I don't, I, don't, I don't really, I'm not ready to take that step of faith in giving myself over and trusting fully in Jesus Christ as my God and as my Savior. To forgive me of my sin, to reconcile me to the God of the universe. Some of us, were not there. And I'll tell you that over the last 24 hours, I've been praying for you. And I've been praying not just for healing, not just for comfort, but I've been praying that God would use this question and this moment to bring some of you out of death and into life. Because I know we're here. And I would encourage you today, this morning, to wrestle And I pray that the Spirit of God would work in your heart and would convict you and bring you to the response that Martha gives of, yes, Lord, I believe. I believe that you are the Christ, that you are the the chosen one who was sent to save us. She didn't know the full extent of Jesus' plan at this moment, but she would see it unfold. She would see him die and she would see him rise again. And at this moment, she still knew that she didn't know the exact details of that plan, what we know now. But she recognized, okay, Jesus has come out of heaven and onto earth to, to save us. And we can look back and we now recognize, you know, Jesus has come and he lived and died and rose so that we could be free from death. So that we could live a life beyond this world. He stepped out of heaven and onto earth to live the perfect life that none of us can live. And he died the death that we all deserve because of our rebellion. 
And yet when he rose again three days later, he proved that anyone who calls on his name can be saved, can be adopted out of sin and death, and can be brought into the loving family of God, who can have a hope that defies all human comprehension. That's the question that we need to wrestle with. Even more so than how do we grieve well, how do we, how do we handle loss and tragedy? Man, the, the first question you need to be able to answer is who do you believe Jesus is? Jesus says, I, I need you to make that decision, Martha. Right? I, I want to know where you stand. And she says, I, I believe. And so when she said this, Martha went and she called her sister Mary, saving, saying privately, hey, the teacher's here and he's asking for you. So when Mary heard this, she got up quickly and she went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still in the place where Martha had come out to meet him. So again, John is setting context for us. He's saying, so Martha goes in, she tells Mary that Jesus is there. Mary jumps up and runs out of the room. So naturally, then the people who were with Mary in the house, consoling her, they, they saw her get up quickly and go out. And they followed her because they thought she was going to the tomb to weep there. They're worried. They're concerned. They're trying to care for this woman who has experienced incredible loss. And they say, we're, hey, well, I think she's going to mourn. And to weep at the tomb, so let's go with her. Because Jesus wasn't right in the immediate vicinity yet. So this crowd is following Mary. And she goes out and she go, came to the place where Jesus was and she saw him. And she fell at his feet. And she said to him, Lord, if you had been here, then my brother would not have died. She uses the exact same phrase, makes the exact same statement as her sister, speaking out of the exact same pain, the exact same gloss. And she's telling him, Jesus, you could have you could have avoided this. You could have changed these circumstances. And what I think is so incredible in this moment is that Jesus doesn't then launch into the same conversation, right? It's the same prompt, but he has a different response. He doesn't go into the back and forth and, and asking what she believes and telling her that, hey, remember, Lazarus is not going to, he's just asleep. Like, he doesn't go into that. He doesn't bring about, like, all this knowledge and this truth and reminder of these points that he'd already made. Instead, in this moment, he hears her question, or he hears her statement, he sees her weeping, and he sees the crowd. He sees all those people who are mourning alongside of her in her home, who had stood up and run out of the house with her. He sees that those people who had come with her, they were weeping. And he was intensely moved in spirit, and he was greatly distressed. And so he said, where have you laid him? And they replied, Lord, come and see. Jesus is confronted with the pain and the loss of these people that he knows and that he loves. And when he sees this, he doesn't step back and address the crowd. He doesn't step back and just tell all of them the, the truth, that, that it's temporary, that things are going to be solved, that he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in just a few moments. He, in that moment, leans in. He doesn't step back to give it. He, he, he steps in. He says, where have you put him? And they say, come see. So they take him to the grave. They take him to the tomb. And Jesus wept. He wept. And this is such a pivotal, significant moment in the ministry of our God that knew all things, had power over all things, has power over death, knows that in just a few moments he's going to bring Lazarus out of that grave. He's going to call him back. He's going to call him out of the grave. But in this moment, Jesus is weeping with these people. Why? I think there's two main factors. It could be more. But, but he's seeing, first of all, he sees this pain. And he sees the struggle. And he's weeping because God's compassion is greater than we could ever imagine. Compassion is a divine attribute, not just a human one. And so the empathy of our God, the compassion of our God, is on display right here in this response where he is pained for his people. 
in seeing the, the destruction that sin has brought. He is saddened and grieved by, by death. Because though God uses it for his purpose, it was never in God's original design. And so Jesus sees the destruction that's being brought about and he, he's, he's pained for it. And on top of that, he is weeping because he sees the despair of the people that he loved. And, and I'm, I'm convinced. Scholars are kind of all over the spectrum, and they'll take different things here and there in explaining, because we don't know the exact motivations. It's not spelled out for us by John. But I, I am more convinced now than ever before as a dad, because I'm a father, that Jesus is weeping in part because he sees the suffering of these people that he loves. So I'll tell you, in my life, I have wept more for the suffering of my children, of my wife, than I've ever wept for myself. I get this. There's something about watching the people that you love, something that maybe some of us, maybe even a lot of us have walked through already. When you see the people you love in agony and in pain and despair, and you can't just fix it, it'll crush you. I've cried more on the behalf of my family than I ever have for myself in all my years, including junior high, which is impressive. <laughs> Jesus sees the pain. He feels the heartache. And he responds with compassion. And when people see this play out, they respond in two different ways. Some of them who had come to mourn said, wow, look how much you loved him. Right? They see the love of God. They see the love of Christ poured out in this moment. But some of them said, this is the man who caused the blind man to see. Couldn't he have done something? To keep Lazarus from dying? There are some who see the love of God in this moment. There are others who cannot see past the pain of loss. And I think this is significant. I think John includes this because it is putting on display something that, that maybe we already know, that, that it's, it's hard to walk through loss. It's hard to walk through death and, and tragedy. And it's a natural response to not necessarily jump immediately to joy. Those who can, that's wonderful. The, the grace of God. They see the love of the Lord poured out in that moment. There's others who it's, it's going to be hard. And you're going to have questions. And you're going to have fears. And you're going to have frustrations. And, and you're going to wonder, well, what if these things had just been different? Or what if God had just healed her back when it popped up? Or what, what if like these things had just unfolded in a different way? And, and, and that's a natural response. That is a natural response to tragedy and to loss, to suffering. It's a natural part of grieving what should not be, which is the effects of sin in our world. But man, my prayer for you is that you would not land there, that you would not stay there for the rest of your life. Because Jesus already said, there's a purpose to this. There's a, there's a potential for growth. There's a plan that God has in place. To increase your belief. To show you his compassion and his love. And there can be a comfort, an incredible comfort in knowing that our God sees us right where we are. Every moment. In fact, one of the pastors here on staff, he, he shared about how when he was working through some past like childhood trauma, that his Christian counselor in, informed him, gave him this exercise of, hey, go back to those moments, those memories, and, and, and those, those, those times that were so difficult where these things were just outside of your control and, and leaving scars on you that you're going to carry for years. Go to those moments and, and even just think about or maybe even write down what, if Jesus had been physically present next to you in that room, what would be his response? And we can look at moments like this in our scripture and we can say with certainty 
that in many of those moments he would be weeping. That in those moments, God's heart was broken on our behalf. So Jesus, he knows that they are looking at him and thinking these things and they're responding in these ways that aren't always the best. And so he's intensely moved by it. He's moved by this response of the crowd. And so he came to the tomb and it was a cave. It was a stone that was placed across it. And he said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the deceased, she replied, Lord, by this time the body will have a bad smell because he's been buried four days. But Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked upward and he said, Father, I thank you that you've listened to me. And I knew that you always listen to me. But I said this for the sake of the crowd standing around here that they may believe that you sent me. Again, he brings it all back around to that original point. That this is transpiring. This suffering is taking place. This pain is having to be felt. Because God is going to use it to increase the faith of these people. There are going to be people who come to faith in Jesus Christ because of the death of Lazarus. Because of this pain. Because of the suffering. Because of the harsh reality that they cannot, in fact, save themselves. That's what they cannot avoid in this moment. And so Jesus knows in this moment they don't need answers to those questions. They don't need justifications for why he did what he did. They don't need a guide for how to grieve properly. They need death. To be defeated. That's what they need. Because he knows that ultimately that's the greatest enemy. That ultimately that's that's the deepest longing of our soul. To be united with the God who we cannot know of our own ability. Who we cannot be good enough to somehow reach on our own merit. But Jesus is showing these people through his actions and through his words, that he has come to make a way when they had no way. And so he looks at this tomb and he shouts out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the one who had died came out. And his feet and his hands were tied up with strips of cloth and the cloth was wrapped around his face. And Jesus said to them, unwrap him and let him go. And what's incredible about this gospel account is that John doesn't spend another word talking about the aftermath of this miracle for the sake of Lazarus. He does not talk about what Lazarus said or the questions that must have occurred. Well, like, Lazarus, what happened? Where were you? What what was going on? He doesn't go into any of that. He doesn't talk about the huge celebration that must have taken place in their home, in Bethany. Just the stories that would have been increasing and being told over and over and over again. The, the awkward things where people are like bringing back his lawnmower. They're like, oh, sorry, I didn't think you needed it. You know, like that, he doesn't go into any of that. Why? Because John knows what's most important about this miracle. What's most important about this event is who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. That's the focus. Because John knows that even in our darkest moments of despair, our focus needs to be on Jesus Christ. That's why he brings up the conversation between Christ and Martha. That's why he continually brings us back to this point that this is happening so that they can believe. This is happening so their faith might be strengthened. This is happening so that we can see once and for all that we need Jesus Christ. That's the point. And if we get that, if we respond in the way that Martha responded, then suddenly we are able to live as believers, as people who are charged by the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians. He's writing to believers. He says, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. Paul would consistently refer to the death of a Christian as sleep. Because he was acknowledging, he's trying to enforce, reinforce to his people, this is a temporary moment. This is a temporary experience. This is not the end. It's a necessary step on our journey to be reunited with the God who saves us, who loves us, who's calling us to himself. So yes, we grieve. Yes, we mourn. Yes, we weep. And we pray that God would fill us with the compassion that we see displayed by his son. But we have to remember that there's a hope that underwrites all of it. A hope that is connected to the love that God has for his people. 
Even in all the plans, even in all the purposes, even in all the moving events, he loves us and he wants us in relationship with himself. And there's hope to that. By grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. So I know that, man, there are a number of us who are walking through difficult circumstances, who are walking through despair, or have walked through it in the past, or are currently in that grieving process that just ebbs and flows, where you think you're great, but one author put it, it's, it's like you're standing with your back to the ocean, and you get hit by that wave, and you, you bring yourself back up, and you think, okay, you know, we're, through, we're through the thick of it, but all of a sudden, uh, you know, a, a certain day rolls around, or a certain conversation happens, or something happens in the, in the news, and all of a sudden, another wave just slams you out of nowhere. I know there's some of us that are in that. I know there's some of us that have been through it. I know there are some of us that it's, it's just, it's coming up. My encouragement to you is to look to Christ, to lean into community, to recognize that God sees you in your hurt. He sees you in your pain. That there are some of us that maybe we're not in that moment. We haven't walked through significant loss or we're not grieving anyone in particular at this moment. And praise the Lord. And now you can be a comfort. You can be that compassion. You can be that one who comes alongside of the other to console them, to encourage them. To maybe not try to walk in with all the right answers in this PowerPoint presentation on the hope they have in Christ but who can walk in and just be a presence. We also have a number of resources here at Grace that I just want to bring to your attention. For any of us who are walking through grief or have friends or family members who, who need people to, to come alongside of them in hardship and pain and in loss, well, one of those things is uh, we have a, a ministry called Grief Share that we have a college-specific group that meets on Monday nights at 7 o'clock. We have an intergenerational co-ed group that meets on Wednesday nights at 7 o'clock. But two different opportunities that if you or someone you know needs to be in that place of, of crying together and weeping together and mourning together, but also coming to the truth of God's Word together, that, that's a great place to start. We also have a wonderful team here at Grace in our community care ministry where we have pastors and staff members who this is what they do. They, they live to serve and come alongside of people in their darkest moments. And so some of them actually joined us this morning and they'll be at the back of the room kind of scattered around as we sing a final song. They'll be there and you can go and if you want to talk with someone or if you just want to pray with someone or you want to ask them about maybe next steps of, of processing or counseling or things of that nature, they're there. They're, they're ready, ready to talk. I'd also encourage you, you know, some of us were here, some of us weren't, but uh, in the last couple of years, uh, TA gave an incredible message on suicide at Breakaway. And it was something that I went to in the last 24 hours, and it gave me incredible perspective and hope and encouragement. So I would encourage you to look that up. But for every single one of us, I know that, that God is, is bringing comfort. He's bringing joy that he will turn our tears into celebration. So let's, let's go to him in prayer and ask him to use these final moments for his glory. God, we are grateful that you have given us this hope in your son, Jesus Christ. God, that there is a life beyond this world that that will free us from the tragedy that sin has brought. God, I know that there are some of us that are here right now who do not know how they would answer the question of, do I believe in Jesus Christ? Do I believe that he is the son of God, that he is the Christ, that he's the one who came to save the world? And there's some of us right now uh, that the spirit of the Lord is moving in your heart and he's bringing you to conviction. And he is in fact revealing to you your need to trust, your need to give your life over 
to Jesus Christ who lived so that we may never die. And so our heads are all down and our eyes are all closed. And I would just invite, if you are in that place, if you are seeing your need to believe in Christ, to make that decision that you've just, you've never really made, that you've never really owned. If that's where you are, I would so appreciate if you would just raise your hand so that I can see where you are, so that I can be in prayer for you. Awesome. Y'all can put your hands down. And you should pray with me that, that God, we, we see our need for you. God, we acknowledge that we cannot in and of ourselves solve the problems that this world presents. And Lord, we thank you that in your mercy, despite us doing nothing but rebelling, while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came and died for us. While we were still in the midst of our transgressions, God, you made a way for us by grace through faith in Jesus Christ to, to know you for all of eternity, to live with you in splendor and in glory. For the rest of us, we are maybe not walking through turmoil and hardship and tragedy right now personally, but maybe we know people who are. And if you don't, then I will just tell you that there is a family that is here right now who's in a lot of pain. So if you would just take these last couple moments before we sing to pray on their behalf, to pray maybe for the people you know that are suffering through loss or separation or divorce or whatever the tragedy might be, or or maybe pray for this family of this young student, this young man, who knew the Lord, who knew Jesus as a Savior, and yet lost all hope. Pray that they would feel the comfort in the presence of God. Just pray for them, and we'll enter back into worship.